FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 485 of the podcast that goes snicked. Snicked, I'm your host, Jason Eat Hot Plasma Burst Venable. No kink shaming here. <laughs> this is a flashback episode. Um, it's going to be our Phalanx Primer. That's right. So I'm just kind of catching up on some loose ends and getting ready for the Phalanx Covenant. Coming up pretty soon. Um, no Wolverine in these issues. We're going to focus, of course, on Sabretooth and some Gambus Gumbo McGrant. Um, but... As a lot of these X-Men issues that do not have Wolverine in them, his presence is very much felt, at least in a couple of places, and we'll point those out when we get to them. So, that's what we're going to talk about. We're just going to get ready. You know, the next episode will not be the thing that's coming in, but it's coming up soon. There's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of zigzagging to do before we get there. Um, but this is catching up the X-Books to get ready for the crossover event the X-Over event of 1994. So, pretty exciting. And yeah, there's some other things pretty exciting about this episode as well that we'll talk about as we go through the comics. So we're going to cover Uncanny X-Men 311 to 313, and a little bit of bonus coverage of Excalibur. Um, and then return, question mark, of Doug Ramsey. So yeah, lots of exciting stuff, and... Probably won't be a super long episode, but, you know, it'll be a fun one. So, strap in. So, I want to cut in right here and just mention, um, this episode is going to be pretty late. If you have not noticed, hopefully you have, hopefully you've missed me, I've missed y'all, um, but have not had an episode in a few weeks. Um, this will be the first one in March, and it'll probably be at least the 15th, and not a little later, probably should get all this out. Uh, I got hit pretty bad with some flu. <laughs> it happens. I'm okay. I'm all right. But, you know, it happens. And then um, also had, as I was getting over that, a uh, family vacation. And I did not take my computer or anything with me. We went up to a cabin in Broken Bow with the boys. And it was a lot of fun. But it did put me a little behind on finishing up this episode and editing. And also getting ready for our regular coverage of the Wolverine event, which, which will be the very, very next episode, and if all goes according to plan, you may be hearing these together, which I don't always like to do that, but it's kind of fun sometimes, and i got to play some catch-up, so that's what we're going to do. But anyway, I just wanted to kind of interrupt, throw a little interrupt. So I, a big thank you to Clint Buckler, friend of the show, who's been just super awesome, um, just having engagement and feedback. He's going to have some notes that I'm going to read on these issues. So that'd be fun. And just, by the way, obviously, love to read Clint's issues because he has been such a good friend of the show and I love his thoughts. But you, too, may also send in some thoughts and I may read them when I cover the issues. So I'll try to be more proactive about talking about what's going to be next. I kind of give, like, a brief, like, this is what's coming up. But I'll try to be a little more specific, like, hey, next flashback is going to be these issues as much as I can. I don't always exactly know and sometimes I have a couple of different things that I can, especially right now, in the heyday of Wolverine just being ubiquitous. 
<laughs> in the mid-90s. I mean, all over, everywhere. Um, it's hard to put everything in exactly in order. I, you know, I loosely based the podcast order for the flashback episodes on the complete Marvel reading order. But I don't always stick exactly. Sometimes I've been some stuff away to lump some stuff together, especially some of the more minor stuff. Like, it doesn't really make sense always to take a random issue and stick it with the failings issues, for example. Um, maybe I need to pick it out of the order that it's in and cover it with some other stuff of the same era, but not exactly. Anyway, so that's kind of what's, what's going to happen. So, like I said, sometimes I'll have that very well planned out. Sometimes I will change course and, you know, it's my prerogative as the, uh, the showrunner here. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I'll try to be more proactive so that if you want to also send thoughts ahead of time, like Clint, you may do so, and I will read them. Um, also, you know, that is a future boat. If you ever want to send thoughts after the fact, I will definitely read those, you know, on an issue, or episode, sorry, afterwards, right? So, like, for example, let's say you have really strong opinions on Uncanny X-Men 311. I don't have them yet. I can't read them right now. I can read them on the next flashback episode, um, and would be happy to do so. So anyway, just a call out in case you haven't thought about it in a while, or wanted to, or you you hear me read from Clint. You know, hey, I want in on that. Hey, you can. You can. And if you don't want to, like I said, if you just want, I know there's a lot of you guys. Then just listen, and I love you all too. So anyway, cheerio. We're gonna we're gonna move on right into some comics here. Um, I do want to give a special shout-out I do want to give a special shout-out to Grant um, Richter, who is also a dear friend of the show. You know, he normally... I don't always read his thoughts because they're not necessarily pertinent to my content, but um, all the time. I'll try to do better, Grant. I should do better about about revisiting the the stuff you send me in DMs and and point them up. I I know I do sometimes, but I'll try to be more more consistent on that. But, But Grant, almost every episode just sends me really nice and encouraging thoughts and I try to do the the same for him letting him know when I'm listening to his show on on Twitter and hopefully you guys see me tweet that and you'll pick it up but if you don't already listen to Truth, Hope, and Justice this this, this Superman podcast do yourself a favor and get on that it's a great show, Grant's a great guy Um, cannot plug him enough and you know just get out there, listen to Grant because he's just an awesome human being and a great friend Love you, Grant. So anyway, uh, enough preamble. We're going to jump in or back into the segments I recorded for these issues and then finish up. And hopefully, I'm fairly consistent. I've done this long enough and do it mostly the same enough. It'll sound pretty smooth. You won't really be able to tell when I'm chopping in and out, but well, I guess we'll see. Y'all can let me know if you want to, if you want to nitpick. <laughs> but if not... I hope you enjoyed the episode, so we're going to get back to it. Alright, so first up we have Uncanny X-Men number 311. This is notable for a few different reasons, and we'll get into that in just a second. So this is going to be putting the cat out, or as I like to call it, the tooth is loose. (laughs) Written by Scott Lobdell, pencils by John Armita Jr., with inks by Dan Green and Al Vey. Chris Eliopoulos does the letters. Uh, Bucciolato, Steve, Steve Bucciolato and Marie Javis do the colors, and of course Harris and DeFalco are the editors. Now on our cover by John Armita Jr. and Al Vey, 
We have Sabretooth jumping midair at Bishop, who has both fists aglow. Now, speaking of Grant, who I talk about pretty often uh, with his Truth, Justice, and Hope Superman podcast. You know, he was on a little bit ago. We talked about the uh, Scott Summers Cable Bachelor Party. And I had mentioned that there's an image of Sabretooth where you see the, a hologram of him like jumping almost like Matrix style in the air by John Romita Jr. And I mentioned at that point that that image lives rent free in my head. Whenever I think of John Romita Jr. and Sabretooth, that's what I think of. Looking at this cover more, Grant, <laughs> I'm wondering if this is really the image I was thinking of. They're very, very similar, like as far as the pose. Obviously, the, the angle's different, the color's different, there's no holograms, actually, like live colors. Um, but this, this, the, the pose is Sabretooth, like in the air, his arms clawed out, one knee lifted up, one leg outstretched. You know, like, you know, kind of the, the Matrix frozen in the air pose. Um, very, very similar. This one's a little better, and I'm wondering if that's what I'm thinking of. It's really weird, though, because as awesome as Sabretooth looks on this cover, Bishop kind of looks equally as horrible. <laughs> like, he just doesn't look great. His arms are, like, weird. And I apologize, guys. This is an office chair at the Airbnb we're staying at, the, the rental. It's super squeaky. So if you've noticed the last couple episodes that I've recorded here, I cannot wait. Guys, I'm so homesick. I cannot wait to get home. Um, but anyway, uh, I apologize. Like Every time I shift, and I shift a lot, um, I'm a shifter. A grifter? A high plains drifter? No, I don't know. But anyway, um, I apologize for the chair noise. But yeah, Bishop, it's like his arms are like... like I don't know. It's, it's weird. It's very like... Rock'em Sock'em Robot, almost, on the arms. So I kind of hate and kind of love this cover all at once, because Sabretooth looks amazing. It really does. It looks awesome. Um, yeah, so another thing we'll talk about... Well, I'll save that. Let's, let's do our, our synopsis first. Um, Alright, so Beast is running maintenance of the Shi'ar tech at the mansion to procrastinate going to see the Rocky Horror Picture Show with Jubilee. Shame on him. Uh, Bishop has a snowball fight with Storm, which I love that scene. It's so good. Uh, I'll go into more detail in a minute on that one. Um, Iceman Bobby checks on comatose Emma and laments his love life. Um, and actually, all of this that he goes through here makes sense with his, with his current sexuality. People are like, oh, that came out of nowhere. And it really didn't. Uh, anyway, uh, Beast accidentally causes a Shi'ar meltdown, which shuts off all power Xavier's. This means Sabretooth is loose. Loose tooth! Uh, Bishop rushes inside. He knows he senses something is wrong. Uh, Sabretooth attacks Jubilee, who is mad that Wolverine is not there to protect her. So we talked about that even though Wolverine's not in these issues, he's still very much felt. And especially in Jubilee's story. And, and luckily... With the absence of Wolverine, we haven't lost Jubilee. The, the Lobdell and... Well, I would say Lobdell, Lobdell mostly. This he has that a little bit. But really, Lobdell has really just glommed on and, and kept Jubilee a central part of the story, which I love. Um, but she's really, really upset still that Logan left after his um, losing his adamantium. And... You know, she's mad. Kind of every time something happens, she kind of gets mad at Logan. And here, I think very 
understandably, is mad because she needs Wolverine to protect her from Sabretooth, and he's not. He's not there to do it. Um, so she does, however, get a good plasma blast out, but she can't hold her own against Sabretooth and takes a beating until Bishop explodes in. Sabretooth escapes in the chaos. Bishop suspects he'll head for the old Morlock tunnels. Jubilee begs Bishop not to abandon her, and he realizes just how much Wolvie's departure has hurt her. Uh, as Bishop hunts for Sabretooth in the tunnels, he wonders if Jean's message from the future is not Gambit after all, but Sabretooth. Remember the whole thing with the witness and the X-Men dying in the tunnels. Now, I think you can argue that, because one of the reasons, you know, I talked about that that's the only time I ever wrote a letter into a comic as a kid, was explaining my theory on that, um, and that one of the things I talked about was the color of the energy blast killed the X-Men. looked like Gambit's cards. Um, so, Bishop has either forgotten that, <laughs> or maybe more importantly, Lobdell has forgotten that, or is just thinking of it in a different way, but, I mean, there's no energy from Sabretooth. He would have just massacred everyone as he does. But anyway, nonetheless, it's, a, it's an interesting connection. And, and one that Bishop is at least like he's trying to give Gambit maybe more of a benefit of the doubt than he has so far. Um, anyway, Sabretooth tries to sneak up on Bishop, but he's too well trained and turns to give Sabretooth a full energy blast. Sabretooth is down, but not out, and is about to claw Bishop's face off until Jubilee tasers him with a Super X taser. A Super Taser. Yep, it really is. Oh, and, uh, BT Dubs, the CR energy feedback did something to Iceman and Emma. Uh, epilogue, Storm meets Yukio, and they're accosted by three mysterious creepers. <laughs> Alright, so the art. This is actually, um, I know we, you know, when you go through these all these flashbacks and you run through the gamut of all the X stories, Sometimes you say hello and goodbye to some of the same people multiple times. Uh, so we've said goodbye to John Romina Jr. before on the podcast, knowing that he would come back later. And it's time to say goodbye again. This will be his last issue of Uncanny for a bit. Um, I don't know if he ever actually comes back to Uncanny proper. Now I'm trying to remember. But anyway, four. we're going to have an artist change on 312 that will kick off a whole new era. Um, so, anyway, uh, John Reader has been JRJR on Uncanny for, for the most part for just over a year at this point on his kind of his second run on the book, or second big run. And his art in general, you know, I, I talk about that being as a kid, it really kind of turned me off. And it was one of the, one of the reasons I kind of got off the book. And I was really curious revisiting it, knowing how much I like him, now, though, maybe not 2021, 2022 JRJR as much, but it's up and down for me now. But knowing at the time that I've really liked some of his early 2000s work and stuff like that, I was wondering, very curious how I would respond to this art from the mid-90s that was right around when I quit collecting comics. And I gotta say, kind of a mixed bag. I think some is really, really awesome. And then some, it doesn't work for me as much. So, for example, 
the page of Iceman and Beast trying to get out of going to Rocky Horror with Jubilee. Iceman looks pretty terrible. And then the very next page, the scene of Bishop and Storm in the snow looks amazing. I think it's really fantastic. Um, you know, kind of just like the cover, right? Sabretooth's awesome. Bishop is terrible. I just, it's just really hit and miss for me in this particular, like, last year run of his art. Like, there's been some just gorgeous, stellar stuff, and then some stuff that just hasn't worked for me. Um, this issue in particular is pretty good. Uh, it's great in places. And then, you know, pretty good to not as good through some other places. Um, some highlights. Let's just, the first page. Beast hanging upside down, close up on his face. Looks great. Um, like I said, the scene of Bishop and Storm in the snow. Looks fantastic. Um, and Sabretooth, for the most part, looks really just violently creepy. It looks great. Um... Now, it's funny, I complained about him on the cover, but mostly Bishop in this whole issue looks pretty good. There's a couple of places where Jubilee's face looks weird, especially, like, when she's giving Bishop a hug, her face, she, like, ages a lot in that panel for no reason. And then there's, like, a double-page splash turned sideways, which happened a lot in the mid-90s, uh, that kind of recreates the cover image. And here, Bishop looks great, so... Yeah, I mean, there's some really, really good panels. Some panels that aren't as good. I would say the good outweighs the bad in this particular issue. So let's talk about the story a little bit. Um, you know, there's some nice kind of just banter. <laughs> and they, by the way, Grant recently shouted that out on an episode of his podcast. Thank you, Grant. I appreciate that. I love that it's, that it's gone on even just in my tiny little circle. Uh, but yeah, some banter between Jubilee, Iceman, and Beast is really fantastic. So this idea of Bishop sitting in the snow. And he talks about, and we, we learn a little bit more about missing his sister. We're about to his miniseries, which will really explore that. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, we're almost there. And um, so yeah, we learn a little bit about Shard. But she, he talks about something that she showed him. Or if you sit in the snow, and it's probably applied for like the rain as well, that all the little drops may seem super insignificant. But they all have just a little bit of energy. And if he just sits out like in a snowstorm or a rainstorm and just absorbs the energy like one drop at a time, he could have a lot of power in a short amount of time, even though it doesn't seem like he's absorbing a lot. He's just absorbing a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And it's just... It's a really cool use of his power, a really cool idea. And I'm not sure when or if it gets followed up on, but it's nice here. Anyway, Storm comes up and busts his chops a little bit. And um, you know, they have a, a nice flirty snowball fight, which I really like. Um, I like them having fun together. I like their relationship. And kind of the will they, won't they is, is pretty fun. Um, so Sabretooth is going nuts. Uh, he really, really wants to get out, and when the power goes out, he takes advantage of that and gets out. And he goes on a killing spree, or intends to. So the only thing that, and a little off, is a really nice scene, right? So Sabretooth grabs Jubilee by the hair, her glasses fall off. We see a really cool scene of Bishop getting energy, but he punches his, he's running down the hall, and on both sides of the hall, he punches his fist through the drywall, which, you know, it's not that hard to do. 
Um, that's one of my old roommates. <laughs> Came home really mad, punched a hole in the wall, and I'm pretty sure whoever I sold that house to, <laughs> they can still probably see the patch. But anyway, so he, uh, he punches a hole in both walls and runs down the hall, pulling out energy and absorbing energy. And Sabertooth's kind of toying with Jubilee a little bit until she gets the blast off. Uh, and she does. She says, eat hot plasma burst right in his face. And it's really fun. Um, anyway, she, he tosses her to the side. And so I think really just his idea of playing with his food. It's the only reason she is not dead like immediately. But then Bishop comes in. The Wolverine's not there to save her. Bishop is. But it just reminds her that Wolverine is absent. So it's just, it's a really nice touching scene. And then uh, the fight between Bishop and Sabertooth is pretty great. Uh, Bishop he gets the upper hand and he can't deliver the fatal blow. He even thinks to himself how he's like gotten soft and Sabretooth is about to claw his face off. And man, this taser is like a giant handgun that Jubilee tases him with. And um, yeah, then we go to New York. And we see Storm and Yukio, which more on that next issue. We'll kind of save that. But um, I think overall, I'm going to give Uncanny X-Men 311 and 5 out of 6 claws. So let's see what Clint Buckler has to say. So Clint for 311 says, Thought this was a fun little story with Sabretooth stalking the mansion. I miss the days where comics had downtime for the random check-ins with the characters. I do too. Uh, can't say enough things about can't say enough good things about J.R.J.R.'s art. I remember when I was a kid, I did not like his art. Man, I was a dumb kid. <laughs> Clint, we're on the same wave, wavelength there. Um, now, like I said, he, I don't want to blame him for me not collecting comics. There was way more than went into it. Uh, getting a driver's license, um, my money going to gas, Taco Bell, <laughs> and Jack in the Box. And and saving up money to buy some of the quote unquote cool clothes that my parents didn't want to buy me, um, you know there were there were financial and time constraint reasons for why I kind of lost interest in comics. But I, I gotta wonder if I'd stuck out a few more issues and seen some of the art as it was gonna be if I had maybe stayed around a little longer. I don't know. We'll see. Um, I, I I was actually out before this issue or this actually no this was the last issue I bought off the stands as a kid for uncanny so interesting I said you know it's funny <laughs> that his art had kind of turned me off and I didn't know I didn't know he was leaving the book but the last issue I bought off the stands was his last issue huh. had I known <laughs> maybe I would have done things a little differently but no Clint I completely agree like looking back it's like, well, what did I not like? Was I just not... I think it was just... I think... I think... And Clint, maybe you're on the same page. Let's continue this conversation right back in. Um, I wonder for me, I think a lot of it was it was just such a departure from Jim Lee and even Wasp Portacio, who doesn't look as great as I remember. Speaking of changing your opinion over time. He looks, he looks really good. Especially his uncanny stuff looked pretty great. But not quite as realistic as it was in my head. But anyway, um, yeah, it's just such a departure from Jim Lee and even really from what Andy Kubert was doing over in the eponymous X-Men. Um, I think I just didn't have 
a feel for just kind of the difference it was. And this was his very geometric blocky phase, right? I mean, starting with what he did on Punisher Warzone, which is kind of, he kind of toyed with it in his Daredevil run, which, by the way, you want to really think how dumb you were, Clint, how dumb we were as kids. His Daredevil run is freaking probably his best art of his career. Um, and I say that knowing there's some really good stuff out there, and he has a long career with many, many great issues, but his Daredevil stuff is at the top. Um, and you can see some of what his X-Men is going to look like, but I really think it's filtered through what he did on Punisher Warzone. Because he really went out of his way to make Punisher a bigger guy. Uh, I think kind of Frank Miller with uh, Dark Knight Returns, like a bigger, boxier Batman. Uh, J.R.J.R. did that with Punisher. And... I think that kind of led to him playing a little bit differently with his geometry, and that carried over into his, un his second Uncanny run. And I just think I wasn't ready for it. But it is. It's better than I remember, for sure. Um, so thank you, Clint, for writing in about the issues. We'll get to the rest of yours on the next couple of issues as well. So definitely look forward to, to reading his thoughts as we go. So, with that said, we're going to jump over to Uncanny X-Men. 312. So this is what is it called? Romp. And it is written by Scott Lobdell and bringing on not a brand new artist. He's done some Excalibur and a couple other things. But um Joe Madgeria or the Joe Mad era officially starts here on Uncanny X-Men 312. And boy is it a treat. Um so Dan Green and uh, I don't remember, is it Joe Condelario? Do the inks? It just says Green and Condelario, but I had to do my, my Dan Green for no one else but for John Wilson. Which, by the way, go listen to his podcast. Superman in Crisis is just as good as all his other podcasts, which are all amazing. So, anyway, um, Chris Eliopoulos on the letters, Steve Bucciolato on the colors, we have a little bit different editor. We have uh, Kevin Summers and Tom DeFalco. Our cover is also by Joe Mad, and it is Storm giving Yukio a hug in a sea of phalanx, in a sea of techno-organic goop, and Storm Yukio at the mercy of phalanx. All right, so what happens in this bad boy? Well... The phalanx used Yukio as bait for Storm. They lead the phalanx in a chase through Times Square as Gambit shows up to help. After the phalanx absorb Gambit's motorcycle, he throws a card at the gas tank, blowing the phalanx up as Storm flies them away. They are stopped by an NSC agent who is... Transform... Oh... <laughs> <laughs> I messed that up. I wrote a note to do something and then just tried to read the note. <clears throat> Let me try that again. They are stopped by an NSC agent who is bailing sand disguise. <laughs> I wrote a note to do that in Transformer voice. <laughs> then I tried to read the note. I'm so dumb. All right. I'm also a recaptured Sabretooth mouse off as a beast of Jubilee trying to revive Iceman. Alright, so before we get to the, well, no, let's get right to the art. That's, that's the revelation of this issue. And so, it looks great. I mean, Storm and Keo both look amazing. The phalanx looks just so creepily awesome. Um, 
Yeah, oh my goodness, it looks so good. Um, really makes you like the bad guys. A gambit on his motorcycle. That's funny, this first panel of him kind of looks like, um, I didn't know this at the time. Didn't even know who he was back then. I'm not sure if anyone really did. But uh, Sam from Supernatural, or Jared, uh, whatever his name is. Um, he kind of looks like Sam in this issue a little bit. Um, anyway, Gambit is riding along. He looks awesome on his motorcycle. Everyone looks great. Um, it's just really, really fantastic art. And Joe Matt, I mean, you can see echoes of Joe Matt, like on the issues I read with him in Excalibur. But this is full-blown, like, coming into his own, doing his own kind of manga-influenced style on the X-Men and defining the look for like the rest of the 90s and it's awesome and I can't I'm so glad we're here I'm ashamed that I did not read any of this until like early 2000s um but anyway his Sabretooth looks amazing like he's just an evil berserker beast it's great so yeah art is is really fantastic um alright so so and two very important relationships with Storm for me. And they're both in this issue. Well, obviously three. I Storm and Wolverine's relationship is super important. Whether they're best friends or dating, I'm okay with either one, but just really love them together. Two other ones that are really important to me as well. Uh, Yukio. So the will they, won't they with Yukio. More than friends, less than sisters. Um... When Storm saves her, they really almost kiss. Uh, so that's a pretty important relationship. Um, you know, I like to think that, you know, Storm, pro Storm Yukio probably had a, a, a thing that was deeper than just friendship. Um, and, you know, I know a lot of current X fans would like to think the same thing as well. So it's not, like, stated outright, but it's very heavily implied. Uh, and then also Gambit and Storm. Super important relationship to me. Um, you know, she saved Gambit from himself, you know, back in, to his first appearance. Um, so you have both of those present in this issue, which is an automatic plus for me. Uh, but also there's some stuff where Yukio knows and doesn't trust Gambit. And Gambit is also still skeevy. He pops a boner for the NSC agent in the first part of the book. And he's just so... He's such a... You don't get the impression like he ever necessarily like cheats on Rome, but man, he's a window shopper at the least. Um, and he, he just kind of early '90s Gambit, like I said before, uh, he's equal parts charming and equal parts kind of gross sometimes. But he's a fun character. I don't know. I don't know how what that says. <laughs> anyway, uh, Sam Tooth is mean. He's really cavalier about Iceman's demise but also recognizing his untapped power potential, which is one of the first times I remember really anyone saying it explicitly on the page, and Sam just like, you guys don't even know how powerful this guy could be. Um, but he's also like, yeah, there's plenty more X-Men if he dies. <laughs> so, gotta love Sabretooth, uh, just being nasty. Uh, so obviously, um, you know, talking about the art, uh, the writing good story, I think, plot-wise, 
But man, Lobdell is doing his best Claremont impersonation here. It's not too bad. I mean, the character interaction is more engaging than the plot so far, but it's just, there's a lot of words and exposition. Um, let's see what Clint says. Uncanny 312. We can get a Storm, Yukio, and Gambit story where they mix it up with the Phalanx. The big thing for me was the Joe Mad art. Always love to see his pencils on the X-Men. Amen, Clint. That is the biggest part about this issue, is kicking off the Joe Mad era. Um, the story is... There's parts about the writing style that bug me a little bit, but not enough to curb my excitement about the visuals, about the characterizations and the relationships, and... You know, connecting all three of the, of the triangle, right? You know, you have Storm, who has very important relationships with both Gambit and Yukio. Gambit, who's trying to be aloof. Yukio, who's very much mean or or nasty to Gambit, but not in front of Storm. And then Storm just wanting them to all be friends, because here's two of her favorite people. And she doesn't really understand yet that they have a rocky past. <laughs> so that's, you know, fun and interesting. And I think even with kind of some of the bugginess and the exposition and dialogue, I'm still going to give 312 5 out of 6 claws. I think a little bit stronger writing, I would give it 6, but I'm not quite there. Okay. Now let's move on to Uncanny X-Men number 313. This is Hands Across the Water, with uh, written by Scott Lobdell, pencils by Joe Majorea, inks by Dan Green, letters by Chris Eliopoulos, and then Mucciolato and Summers do the colors. You know what? Kevin Summers is a colors. I think he was misprinted as the editor on 312. I think he was just another colorist like before. But anyway, Harrison DeFalco uh, are the editors as well. Our cover, if 312 was a great cover, 313 is even better. We have an awesome pose of Gambit fighting a phalanx creature with Storm in the background. Um, so, what happens in this one after we get past the awesome cover? Um, Gambit, Storm, and Yukio continue to fight the phalanx who is trying to assimilate them. Gambit and Storm get philosophical on whether the phalanx and the people assimilated are still alive. Gambit saves Yukio, who acts nice when Storm is around, but threatens Gambit when alone. If you hurt Storm, kind of that, that classic threat. Uh, the X-Men eventually win when Storm helps Gambit drop a charged ship anchor on them. Yeah, that's as badass as it sounds. Uh, Yukio heads back to Japan to be in Wolverine 82, which we'll cover soonish <laughs> oh yeah Stephen Lang has is behind the phalanx and we see Doug Ramsey in the phalanx like nerve center uh, back in the mansion Bishop worries about keeping Sabretooth alive whether it's a good move or not and he also worries of mellowing out to the X-Men non-lethal tactics has made him virtually ineffective uh, Jubilee has had enough. She really misses Wolverine and questions her place with the X-Men. So again, if, if at least part of Jubilee's story, Wolverine is still very present even when he's not there. Um, this props Banshee just 
thinking about starting a new comment called Generation X, which I'm excited to get to. And, you know, I've never read it from the beginning. I have listened to this Scout Rose talk about it, and you should too. Georgie and Dan, who come on the show a lot, have an awesome podcast called Scalabros, and they started with Generation X number. I, th- I actually think they started with the Faeweeks coming in issues that introduced some of the Gen X characters, and then going to issue number one after that. Um, which, by the way, I might ask y'all to come talk about that event, even though you tried very hard not to talk about it on your own show. <laughs> How's that for karma? Um, anyway. <laughs> Sabretooth continues to taunt Xavier, which only makes him double down on his resolve to cure his murderous instincts without having to have like a psychic glow. Um, so, so the more Sabretooth jabs at Xavier, the more committed Xavier is to quote-unquote healing him. Huh. Very different from from Cohen age, where he's like, throw him in the pit. <laughs> anyway, uh, meanwhile, a comatose Iceman's powers spike, but when they wake up, it's not Iceman at all, but Emma in Iceman's body. Whoa! Yeah. So the art is so good, drool-worthy. The last panel of Iceman spiked out with ice claws is oh my goodness awesome I can't even explain how awesome that panel is and there's a lot of panels like that like I said the Felix continues to just look awesomely horrible in, in Joe Mad's pencils um, Gambit looks great Every all the action looks great Jubilee looks amazing um, Banshee you know, is Bishop's a little barrel-chested and has like almost like Hulk arms, which I don't love that as much. I think he'll tone that down in future issues, if I remember right. Um, yeah, and then the surprise of seeing Doug Ramsey in the Warlock Nerve Center. And, and Stephen Lang, in control of the Phalanx, is trying to get Doug to do his bidding, but there's a part of Doug that's trying to resist. And... You know, more on that in a minute. But, yeah, the art is just so, so good. And that when when Gambit charges the ship anchor and drops it on the, the whole dock, including the phalanx, it's such a great scene. Uh, such a great scene. Um, and the story's pretty solid. Again, a little overwrought. But I'm still going to give it Uncanny X-Men 313, 5 out of 6 claws. So let's see what Clint had to say about 313. Wrapping up the Phalanx story with some more great Joe Mad artwork. Yes, sir. Um, the book starts sowing the seed for the big Phalanx crossover in a couple of months. And you can say anything about, anything about these three issues since it's been a while since he read them, but Lobdell just repeats the story beats and the dialogue over and over. That, that's... Like Claremont, but not as adept, is how I would describe that, but yeah, we're on the same page there for sure. Um, it was kind of a chore to read at times. I know they were trying to get readers up to speed, but man, I felt like I was getting hit with a hammer. <laughs> so he would probably rate all these three out of six claws, but the art bumped him up to four out of six for each. So the, the writing, I agree quite with everything you say. Um, it's overwrought. It is 
Clairmontian without quite the same level of skill or depth, but it's the same word count. <laughs> and it does bug me a little bit. It didn't bother me quite as much as it bothered you, but I kind of did the exact same thing. So you scored these at three and buffed them up to four with the art. Whereas my, so 311 for me was a pretty solid five. 312 and 313, though, I kind of did the same thing. But I started at a four, and then the art bumped me up to a five. So, I mean, very similar approach into how we digested and thought about the books, and loved hearing your thoughts, Clint. So thank you very much for sending those in. Please feel free to continue to do so as much as you want. And like I said, anybody else, the invitation is open. I mean, I love especially reading Clint, because it's been such a fun part interacting with the show in the last several weeks since he's kind of come on board with a vengeance. <laughs> and Quinn, I love that. So thank you very much for all your just positive feedback and encouragement and for participating in the show. And once I'm back in my house, I will find a time to get you on. Promise. Because I really want to have you on. Um, but yeah, that is kind of our Phalanx primer. But I do want to talk about Excalibur number 78. So let me find it on... Marvel Unlimited. It should be in my recently read if I did this right. I haven't read too much since then. Oh, I already jumped ahead to 80. All right, hold on. Let me pull it up, guys. Excalibur. Go listen to Excalibros. That's what you need to do. Do it, do it, do it. All right, 78. Where are you? 78. That was a good year. Year of my birth, 1978. <laughs> Alright, so this is, oh, I'm on the last page. Go back to the first page. The Doug Lock Chronicles Part 1. You thought you'd never see him again if you've never seen him before. And this, this Part 1 is Fire in the Wild. Plot by Scott Lundell. Script by Chris Cooper. Pencils by John Royal. Inks by, oh, Harry Candelario. So sorry, Harry. I think I tried to say Joe earlier. When did they just, see, they just need to list your full name all the time and give you the credit you deserve. Stupid Marvel. Um, anyway, lettering by Babcock and Brousseau. Coloring by Chris Mattis. And our editors are Suzanne Gaffney, Bob Harris, and Tom DeFalco. Our cover is by Ken Lashley, who is the current Excalibur artist, and here we have a techno-organic Doug Ramsey standing on top of a smoking rock with Nightcrawler and Kitty recoiling in horror. Um, it's an okay cover. Doug's legs are super long. It's almost Liefeldian proportions. So, you know, Lashley kind of finding his footing. I've liked his early stuff so far for the most part. Not my favorite cover. Uh, anyway, this cover, this issue is really about following up on like the death of Strife um, Strife had a protocol to get rid of all his stuff and that includes his android Zero but Zero is fighting for his own existence and he somehow calls out to Doug Ramsey he pulls him out of the phalanx and they talk about like existence and identity and have really deep conversations about who they are I always say Doug while he looks kind of odd on the cover looks great in the issue there's a full the title, so there's a title page and there's a double page splash and there's two full pages of close-ups of Doug. They look amazing. Um, 
And there's a question, right? Is this Doug? Is it just a techno-organic facsimile of Doug? And we won't get that is answer in this issue. And I haven't finished the other two just yet, part two and three. I read part two, kind of first time skim. I need to read it again, and I still need to read part three altogether. But anyway, um, Excalibur has so Brian as Britannia now is like has some got some kind of like um, SOS from Zero. So he and Excalibur are following it in, and they arrive. And there's some uh, drama with Kitty and her parents. And she remembers fonder times in her real family in the X-Men, which has our Wolverine flashback inside of a flashback cameo. Um, but yeah, so she's distraught. But Scalver finds that we see Moira and Xavier uh, doing research on Muir Island. You know, Xavier, we talked about a couple of episodes ago, left the mansion in charge of Beast, and that's because he left to go to Muir Island to help Moira with the legacy virus. Um, there's a, a family of campers and a, the girl wanders off into the woods to go pee and she sees Zero and kind of like this harmless creature and he walks off and then these Strife androids show up and start attacking the family. So Zero and Douglock have to save them and Scalibur comes in and helps save the day. And then Zero teleports them away and that we don't know where they're going to go. I mean, I know they're going to go to one of Strife's old bases. But anyway, uh, Zero teleports Scalver, Douglock, and the kids and the family away from the attack droids, and that's the end of the issue. You know, since I was a little bummed on the cover, Ken Latchley also has a pinup of Zero versus a Strife droid, which looks amazing. Like, looks really, really good. So, you know, if I'm going to give bad credit whereas I feel like it's due I gotta give good credit as well so maybe not a home run on the cover but a home run on the back pinup which I don't know if it's the pinup or the back cover it's hard to tell on the digital Marvel Unlimited issue what was what but um, I would give you know, I thought uh, the art by Hoyle as a filling artist is really strong um, it was kind of that mid 90's house style uh, kind of post you know, the image, guys, it looks a little bit like Lashley, but not exactly, so it's similar. A little bit like Churchill, but not exactly. Um, yeah, it's pretty, I mean, it's pretty good. I didn't really recognize the name of John Hoyle, but I, it's a pretty solid stand-in issue. Um, and the story was pretty good. I and mean, you have, you know, it's a little lengthy with the dialogue, like, are we real, aren't we real, between Zero and Doug Locke, but, um, Overall, Rodney's fairly solid. I'm going to give this a, a very solid 4 out of 6 claws. That's borderline 5 for me. But at Scalver 78, I will give 4 out of 6. And after the episode's up, and I do kind of the subtweet the content, I will continue as I finish part 2 and 3 on the same thread. So even though I won't talk about it here, you can at least, if you follow me on Twitter, you can at least see kind of the outcome of the story and where it goes um, with Zero and Douglock and what happens there. So well, that's going to do it. That is our Phalanx Primer. Hope you enjoyed it. And um, yeah, so I said that I would try to be a little more proactive in announcing what the next flashback episodes are going to be. So 
I'm not entirely sure. It'll either be X-Men 33 and 34, or it'll be Wolverine 82 through 84. Both are kind of right before, like the last chapter's left before the Phalanx Covenant. I don't know which one I'll do first. I'm sorry. Um, but one or the other will be will be immediately next. And then... May I also take a sidebar? Um, Gambit is in a Daredevil story. So I may jump over that. It doesn't really fit with anything else that's going on. So I may just do like a short like 20-minute episode on that. So that might be next if you want to read that. Uh, it's Daredevil 330. It's the Tree of Knowledge storyline that I'll be, be talking on a little bit. But yeah, so that'll be next. Um, I'm thinking I'll probably do the X-Men one before the Wolverine one, but no promises. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's going to be hard to, to, to read ahead. But uh, feel free to... I'll try to like tweet out to, like, hey, this is the one I'm doing next. And then, of course, we will continue our coverage of... 10 Lives and Deaths of Wolverine, which are wrapping up in the next couple of weeks. So, that's exciting. So, all right. Well, always, as, you know, for the podcast of Ghost Nick, you can like the Facebook page. Twitter is at SnickCast. Show notes and stuff are SnickCast.podbean.com. So, until next time, hugs and snicks, everyone. Bye-bye. And snacked. <laughs>